0: In five. So if you have your Bible, we're going to start in verse 43. You've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's how the Jews looked at it, okay? Well, let's first of all look at what it means to hate one's enemy. Let's just take a look at that. What it means is harboring the harm that you've experienced or the hurts that that you feel were caused by another. It means an active, ill will of thought, words, and deeds towards that person or persons. But Jesus says in verse 44, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. We're not going to leave here today until... I get an opportunity to teach on how to pray for those that have hurt you. Because that is key to loving your enemies. So, why are Christ followers called to love our enemies? Well, why did Jesus flip it around or elevate it? Well, remember, he set us on this earth to be his disciples. And they what? They will know you by your what? Your love. You see, the reason that we're called to love our enemies, there could be a lot of reasons, but one of them is so that others who haven't experienced the love of God can experience when God forgives them. We've been forgiven. We know what it's like to be loved unconditionally. If they've not been forgiven, they haven't experienced that yet. But when we love them unconditionally, they experience a bit of the grace of God. Matthew 45 says, here's the reason. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Like father, like son. Like father, like daughter. You then emulate your Father and they see the Father in you. Also, so they can experience the mercy of God that you and I have experienced if you are a follower of Christ. You see, God did not give us what we deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Judge gives mercy. doesn't give you what you deserve. So we've experienced that. We've experienced where the Scripture says, for God so loved the world. And in verse 45, it explains to us, for he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. God is merciful. He doesn't separate out when he gives blessings. He blesses all of us. He doesn't say the sheep and the goats. For God doesn't also call us out for judgment. Aren't we glad he didn't call us out for judgment? 2 Peter 3.9 reminds us of this. The Lord is not slow about his promise, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Aren't you glad that God didn't send Jesus before you made a step of faith and believed in him and have the hope of eternal life? God is waiting, and people need to experience that kind of love. God doesn't separate people out and judge them in the moment, and we as followers of Christ shouldn't stop time and just make that judgment like there's no hope for you. There's another reason why we're to love our enemies. So others can experience the grace of God that we experience. When God gave us what we didn't deserve. I mean, grace is what we live by. We didn't get what we deserve. What is the wages of sin? Yeah. We didn't get that. We got patience that none should perish. We got mercy didn't get what we deserved. verse 46 he says for if you love those who love you what reward do you have do not even the tax collectors do the same and that's a metaphor for people that are you know not on the right side with god if you greet only your brothers what more are you doing than others don't even the gentiles do this so you love your neighbor big deal you love your family. You love your spouse and your children. You love those that are like you. So what? Don't even the Gentiles are the same or those that are not followers of God in this context? But therefore, you are to be perfect. That is at a different standard. As your heavenly Father is perfect. Grace is perfection. It's giving people what they don't deserve. So, I think most of you know that. Uh, But how do you do that? That's where the rubber meets the road, right? How are we to begin to love our neighbors? Well, I want to go back and look at the passage in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5, where we learn what love is and what love is not. And I want to dive a little deeper into verse 5 where it says, Love is not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. That's how you love. You're not provoked, and you don't take in a wrong that you suffered. So it's a passive thing, and the word is broken into two parts. One is that a pointed object pokes you in your side. In other words, it's one of those darts or arrows. It, you've been hit by someone that has hurt you, and you feel the pain. And that's not something you can control but you're not provoked by it. You see, you have to be ready for it, obviously. You've got to put on your armor on a daily thing. You get up, you go to Ephesians 6, and you put on the armor of God, right? And, and you put on the shield of faith that God is still, still in control, and God knows they shot that arrow at me, and God knows the pain that I'm going through. And then you shod your feet with the gospel of peace. I'm to be one who is a person of peace, and blessed are the peacemakers. And then admit that you're powerless and say, God, I cannot love that person. I need you to love them through me because I want to strike back. Because that is our natural way. But not only are you not provoked, not of any strength of your own, but by the... Armor of God you've put on and the help when your weakness, you can be made strong through the spirit of Jesus. But also, you have to also cognitively engage in this process. You have a mind. And it says, does not take into account a wrong suffered." Now, that's a middle voice in the Greek. And, I, and I'm not trying to press you, but we, we don't have that in the English language. But what we know is it's not passive, like you're out of control, like you know, you've know you had this pain come from beside you. And it's not something that you actively do. No, it is a decision, a choice that you make cognitively. You are aware that you have been hurt and harmed, but then you have to choose, it says there, to not take it into account. The word there is the word we get logos logic. So you have to reason. You have to reckon. You have to consider it. You have to make a choice to not document that. hurt, Not register it or keep track of it because that's literally an accounting term. To not make a record of it not in your journal. It's not good to write those things in your journal. If you do, tear it up. Write it. Tear it up. Give it to God. We're going to walk through that. You're not to to write it on your cell phone, on your notes app. Don't put it there. It's not to be on Facebook. You don't vent it there. You don't put it on Instagram. You don't do a Twitter blurb. And it's not part of your Snapchat story. You don't write it down because you're not going to take it into account. You've got to choose to do that. And when I think of that, not keeping score, because that's keeping score, see? That's a tit for a tat. You got me, I will get you. I'm from Chicago. And uh, I grew up there and went to some weddings, and some of my buddies got married. And weddings are a little different. I was in shock when I came to California, and I, I've done a lot of weddings in California, and, and I don't want to stereotype California weddings and, and how somehow make you as a bride feel you know like you got to do a Chicago wedding. But uh, I remember an Italian wedding in Chicago from my best buddy. They don't do finger food at Italian weddings. They don't do cake-only receptions. I mean, I think that's cool, okay? No, they have a sit-down, seven-course meal served with a choice of fish, chicken, or beef. It's an open bar, never a no-host event. I'm a teetotaler, so that doesn't do me any good. But you don't pay a dime. And uh, your gift to the bride and groom is like your ticket into the event. I remember this very well because I was the best man and the groom was there and the reception line was there and uh, and I was coached by the father of the bride. Okay, when they come and they hand an envelope to the groom, he's to hand it to you. And then when your pockets get full, I'm going to take them. And I handed them to the father-in-law who had a briefcase or a drop safe nearby. We're talking hundreds and hundreds of people. We're talking lots of envelopes. And the next day, at the bride's family gathering, both the bride and groom, they didn't rush off on their honeymoon, no. They had to show up at the home, and every gift, every envelope was reconciled to the wedding so every card was opened with the whole family gathering. The father would look at the card, and they'd count the cash. It was a good goal. They would make enough money to get a down payment on a home. It was a great goal. I remember my, my buddy back in the 70s got $7,000 at the wedding, and that was a down payment on a home. So it was a good thing. wouldn't work in California now, but big checks. But But here's what they did. They would count the cash. And they would check, the father would check how much each guest gifted his daughter. And then he would look at how much he gifted their daughter at their wedding because he had it recorded. He kept track of every gift of every wedding because he knew that his daughter's wedding was coming up one day. And did they match or exceed his gift? If not. The next wedding, the gift would be reconciled to balance it out. That is a tip for a time. That is not what the scripture says where it says to not take into account a wrong suffering. So what are some of the consequences? And not just that. I'm talking, you know, you know what I mean when you've been hurt. You know how deep the hurts are and. Oftentimes, they're greater within our families and or at our workplace. What, what are some of the consequences of love denied by harboring the hurts? You see, love doesn't take into account a wrong suffered. If you're provoked and you take names, what can you expect to happen in your life? First of all, Christ's followers will not be known by their love. You'll be known by your love. No, they will not know you by your love. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that's agape love, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is the greatest outreach you could ever have. It's hard to export into the lives of others what you haven't imported in your own like, why do I want that? Bitterness will become a destructive force in your life. You see, anger doesn't go away. You either bury it or you explode or you express it. And when you bury it, it is destructive. There is a rhythm of hate, and I'm using the strong word. Because that's what Jesus said: you either hate or you love. Hebrews 12:15 describes it to us. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. What? Giving people what they don't deserve. Because that's what we experienced. That no root of bitterness. Did I say that right? I'm from Chicago. We say root, root. You know, I. Does it sound okay? Like I'm not from Chicago. Uh, causes trouble, and it may, and by it, many be defiled. So there's here's the rhythm: bitterness causes trouble, people are defiled. So once you look at a picture of the star thistle, we all know the star thistle. Okay, it's not native to California. It's a Mediterranean. It was brought here. There are no predators, there is no ecological balance for star thistles. Destroy, horses eat them, they'll die, you know, they get them stuck in, you know what it's like to get a star thistle, it's like, they're vicious. And uh, bitterness, and I want you to think of the star thistle, and I want you to think what bitterness does. It destroys others around you. Go to that. Okay? Now go back to the star thistle star thistle has a root system that poisons everything around it. it. When it moves in, everything else dies. That's the root of bitterness. And when you harbor hurts in your life, it's destructive. It will destroy you, and it will destroy those around you. And here's maybe even worse consequence of love denied when you don't love with mercy and grace like you were loved. The harboring of hurt may give a foothold of oppression sometimes physically sometimes emotionally but surely spiritually to the enemy of our souls. Listen is what it says in Ephesians 4.26 Be angry. It's a, good, it's a good emotion. God gets angry. It's a good emotion. It's what you do with it, okay? Yet, don't sin. And don't let the sun go down on your anger. What that? That's harboring it, see? That's taking names. That's taking into account for a time to get even. You've logged it in. You've registered it. You haven't given it over to God. And do not, what? Give the devil an opportunity. That's not just a phrase. The word foothold there is a military term for a foothold behind the line, the enemy line. In other words, you've got your artillery here, your infantry here, and you spiritually and I spiritually, when I harbor hurt and anger, I actually give a foothold in my life behind me. I'm not cognitive of it. I may not be aware of it, but it is oppressive. It is oppressive, and it has and can have negative symptoms. And if these symptoms have persisted in your life, after you've continued with professional medical care, see your doctor, make sure that you know if you're physically okay and if that's not causing it, or after... You've got psychiatric medication from a psychologist, and you have medication because the body sometimes doesn't produce the right chemicals that you need. Or perhaps you need to go to a therapist because you need to work through some of those things, and that could help relieve some of the symptoms. But if you've done all that, and you still have some mental, emotional, relational physiological, spiritual symptoms that you can't deal with? Consider biblical counseling. We call it newtetic. With steps to freedom. And especially the third step, which is forgiving those that you are harboring anger or the hurts. And you'll be surprised who you are harboring that anger towards. First of all, Number one on most people's list is God. It could be when you were a 12-year-old and you lost a loved one. Your dad wasn't there. Your sibling passed away. You're angry at God, and that's okay because it's okay to be angry at God. But you've got to deal with it. You don't want to harbor it. Oftentimes, on the top of the list, it's parents. You haven't forgiven your parents. And it's destructive in your life. It's destructive in your relationships. And then it's your spouse, because they've hurt you, obviously. And you're harboring that. You are keeping track of that. You have logged that in. You you are reckoning it all the time. And then, yourself. I just heard a story this week. You know, I work with the homeless. And I heard a story of one of our homeless of Vacaville who was a young child, a five year old, was devastated. And of what happened in the home, and he blames himself. And we all do it. Or others. Now, when you forgive, it doesn't mean there's a relationship. Don't get me wrong. You know, that takes two people. You forgiving because you've been forgiven doesn't mean that you are going to have a relationship because a lot of people that have hurt you may not want a relationship with you. But you're the one that is chained. You're the one that is being destroyed. Not them. It doesn't even bother them. The poison is destroying everything around you. You see... The Bible just says, but as far as it depends on you, be at peace with others. That's all you can do. So what is the outcome of love lived out? And I changed that on your insert there. I just wanted to do it positive, not of love denied. So here's the outcome when you live out love. It provides an opportunity for God to be glorified. 90 days, you're going to love God, love one another, that's all easy. But to love your community... They will know you by your love. So when you pray a blessing on those that have harmed you, or you, you're going to experience freedom. I guarantee it because that's what the Word of God promises. You're going to experience freedom from those hurts that have held you hostage, that are destroying everything around you. You've harbored them, and you're going to replace that with agape love. That is unconditional love that does not take into account. A wrong suffered. And guess what? You're going to give God the glory. Because all of a sudden you realize God's word's true. I don't have to hold on to that. I don't have to be the angry one. You don't destroy my life. Jesus does. And I'm able to give you the mercy and the grace. I'll give you what you don't deserve. And I won't give you what you do deserve. Because Jesus died on the cross for that. And he's the judge. And I'm not going to judge him. It says in 1 Peter 3, 9, don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back, what, with a blessing. Now, that kills an unbeliever. You mean you want me to bless them? Yeah. That is what God has called you to do. He will grant you his blessing. You can't bless and curse at the same time. Now, I'm going to get real practical as I wind down here. It will provide an opportunity for your faith to grow like never before. But when you, when you realize that you don't have to harbor that hurt, that you are released from that anger and hurt, and you see that the power of God is powerful, your faith is going to grow. And you're going to be able to go to your friends that are harboring hurt and anger, and you're going to be able to take them through the step of forgiveness because you know that it worked in your life, it'll work in their life. And the other thing is, is when you go to them and you're able to say that, you know, I pray for you and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray. And they go, you're praying for me? Yeah, here's what I'm praying for you. I'm praying for a blessing upon you. I know this works because I've been hurt. And I remember driving down I-80 from Vacaville to Fairfield and the people that hurt me the most lived off uh, that road. And you know how that everything's connected, right? So every time I drive down the road, I uh, down I-80 to back Fairfield, I see that road, and then I go down their road, I go to their house, and I recall everything that they did to me, and then I relive it all. So I realized as I drove down I-80 and I saw that road, and I started thinking that I had to pray a blessing. And let me just give you this acronym. First of all, you got to put on the armor of God, okay? so that those arrows don't get through so easy in your life. you got to admit you're powerless and ask God for help. Say, okay, God, I am going to obey you. Now, I am going to bless them. And I have an acronym. It's up on the screen there. Bless. Memorize it. First of all, I pray for their physical health, their body. I, I'm I'm reminded there's some people that I'm harboring some hurts against even as I was preparing this, and I'm having to pray for them, and and it's it's subsiding some of my hostility. And, you know, we're talking at all levels. And so I pray, God, bless that person physically. Give them health. L for labor. God, allow them to flourish in their job. Allow them to have the money they need. Bless them in that way. God, bless them emotionally. May they have joy, peace, and love in their lives. God, bless them in their uh, relationship socially, that, that their families have peace, that they have peace in their workplace, that, that things go good with them and others. And then I say, and then, Lord, bless them spiritually that they may experience your unconditional love and your grace and mercy in their life. And don't do this just to go to them and tell them you're praying for them. But you watch when they see that your attitude has changed and you're not toxic to be around like a star thistle. You may find them at the water jug or you may find them at the coffee pot or you may notice in your family gathering something different or you're relating to your spouse a little differently than you were. And you can say, well, you know, you've been different. Why? Because I'm asking you. That's the power of God at work. That will touch their life in a way that words could never do because they're experiencing mercy because they probably know what they did against you. And they're experiencing grace because you're giving them something that they never would dream that you'd ever give them. So I'm going to pray right now that during these 90 days, you put that into practice, and they will know you by your love. Let me pray as the band comes up. Father, you, we don't have to think too long to recall those that have hurt us. But God, I pray that you, in our weaknesses, you would be strong. That you would give us the faith to trust you. To begin to bless those that have hurt us so that they may experience the love and the mercy and the grace that we've experienced through Christ Jesus. In whose name we pray.